0: Hello, and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is episode 45. That's right, guys. We are back. I really appreciate everybody, I guess, allowing us to take a week off. Um, We have really enjoyed ourselves. Um, We went to North Carolina. We had a surf trip. It was amazing. It was really cool. Um, We're here in Florida. We are looking into houses. We have been just kind of getting everything situated down here. So to be able to kind of take a breather was really enjoyable. And we have some other really cool news to share with you. We officially yesterday got our trademark. We are Weird Waves podcast. It is trademarked. It's so cool. So um, that's super exciting for the podcast and now that we're coming up to almost a year of doing podcasting, to know that we own everything and it belongs to us is a very cool thing. So on to this week's episode. This week's episode, we are talking to Vicky Durand. This is an incredible woman with an incredible insight into surfing in the from the early '60s. Her mom went to Hawaii and she joined her, and she wrote a book, um, Wave Woman book about her mother and her experience surfing and it's just incredible when you hear her talk about you know these wave competitions and going to Peru in the early 60s and all this stuff it's just it seems so unimaginable um to just go and own property on the beach and just go to Peru and try to encourage women surfing. It's just, the story is fantastic and I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing this story and reading the book. Kelly is actually the one who gave us the information, so thank you, Kelly. And yeah, this is a really, really great story and I really hope that you guys enjoy it.
1: (laughs) That's okay. I'm not. I'm Taylor. I'm a girl. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You know, you're not the you're not the first person who said that, actually. So sometimes when I'm talking to guys, they'll say like, "Hey, bro," and I also say, "Dude," because I feel like "dude" is for everybody. Oh, um, <laughs> I I saw just for men. Maybe it's just changed. But saying like "dude," I think it's kind of like, "What's up, dude?" I just say. To anyone, and then I've had that happen before, actually, when people are like, Oh you're you're a girl, but I am you're in, yeah. it. I'm <laughs> in it how are you great, great, Just uh haven't done too many Skype, so I wasn't sure uh you no know, hoping it would all work. <laughs> it looks like it is yeah, your, you? audio, your audio quality's great, okay. All right. Yeah. So how long did you uh had this podcast? Um, we're coming up to a year actually. Okay. So we interview people from around the world, um, who surf and the kind of the premise I guess is it's about people who surf. So it's not only about surfing or professional surfers, but it's more about what is a person who surfs look like and kind of what do they do?
0: If that makes sense.
1: Okay, so mine is past tense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and where, where are you calling us from? I know you said Hawaii time, but where in Hawaii are you at? I'm in. I live in Honolulu now, but uh, my my home is Makaha Beach. That's where my family. That's where my mother built her. Uh, She was a pioneer surfer out there in the Mm mid-50s and built a house. And she lived out there for over 60 years. And so I was there off and on. Uh, I was there with her for her last 20 years. And that's what um, my Wave Woman, The Life and Struggles of a Surfing Pioneer is about. Her life and our life together, we served together, and, um, yeah. What was her cause for coming to Hawaii? Her sister was married to a man who was the superintendent of the leper colony at Kalapapa, Molokai. Oh, my goodness. I had actually gone, been invited, they didn't have any children, so when I was... 12 They invited me to come and spend the summer with them. So, Mother put me on the plane and I came over here in 1953. I spent the summer, fell in love with Hawaii, and went home and cried and moped until she came over the following summer to see what she was missing. And that was when she started surfing. She was 41 years old. And and then she said, You girls, we ended up spending the summer. She, she got a house, we had house sitting for some friends. Spent the summer, we all fell in love with it. And she said, Do you girls want to move over? And we said, Yes. And so we, three months, she said, We'll be on the plane the day after Christmas. And the day after Christmas of 1954, we moved over here and um, surfed. And so I was been about 15, and so we surfed together for six years, six or seven years, and uh, it was great. We uh, Well, that's the whole story. I don't know how much you want me to tell you right now about it, but we, uh, Mother, entered the the Makaha International Surfing Contest, was one of the Actually, I think it was the first big international surfing contest, so it started in 1954 at Makaha Beach, and Mother entered in 1956, took first place in the paddling, and took second in the surfing. And one of the judges happened to be um, a Peruvian named Carlos Donier, who had Built the, the Club Waikiki in Miraflores, Peru, and he was amazed by the women in the big waves at Macaja. And he invited uh, a team there. The, in 1957, a mother was on the team, and they spent six weeks in Lima. Uh, I had to stay back because I was still in high school. <laughs> She fell and let the Peruvians just were the magnanimous hosts. They took them into their homes and shared their beaches. And they fell in love with my mother and my mother uh, loved many of them. And uh, they actually became lifelong friends that visited her at Macaha over the next 40 years. But when she came back from Lima 1957, early 1957. She said, "You know, Vicky, if you can win the 1957 contest at Macaha, I think we can be invited back as a mother-daughter team." And so I did. I I won in '57, and then in, it was. I had to get out of high school, so in ni- early 1960, we were we traveled to Lima as invited guests and surfed, went to the club, and none of the women served, and the men wanted the women to serve. So our job was to surf, hang out at the club, and make surfing look fun, feminine, and like something other women would want to do. So that was our job, and they treated us like queens. So you were treated like queens, queens uh, yes. at parties and dinners and receptions and yeah they they were just uh so wonderful and it was I was 18 so it was really fun <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I bet I bet mean, and to be, to start traveling at such a young age must have been such an incredible experience right and Peru in 1960 this club was only for the rich and elite of Lima, so yeah. it, was, it was when there really were the haves and the have-nots, and so it was um, just opened a whole new way of living and lifestyle and the archaeology. We traveled. We went up to Machu Picchu and Took the highest, second highest railroad in the world, and then later on, I went to the Amazon by myself, Iquitos, and yeah, it was um, it, it was fun and interesting and a life changing experience, actually. I'm sure. How often did you return back to that specific club? Was it like an ongoing relationship, or was it more like a one turn, one time? Mm-hmm. I only went once. Um, We had tickets to go a few years ago, and uh, my husband fell down, and so we had to cancel. So I've never been back. I still have hopes of maybe going there with the book, although all of our friends are mostly gone now. But my mother went back, and my sister went back. My sister ended up dating a Peruvian for many years, and we had a very close relationship with with these people from the club. Then, then they came to Hawaii, so I have some great pictures. I can only imagine. That's just you can like you can picture it in your mind the way that you're describing it. So it um. It just sounds so incredible. So from surfing at such a young age, did you find that you picked it up really quickly? I mean, you were went from living inland to winning a contest. It sounds like you were pretty good. Well, we surfed a lot at Makaha. Surfing was our life for many years. like all we thought about, when could we go surfing again, uh, the waves that we caught, how do we how do we surf better? And we surfed actually at the at the beginning of the renaissance of the surfing movement as we know it today. It was just starting and mother told me in nineteen fifty seven. She said, You know, Vicky, this is going to really be big and you should take notes because one day you're going to want to write about it. Oh, so, wow. She had a lot of insight. And I said, I am too busy living this sport. You take the notes. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I wrote the book, I just had to get the old memory going. And I had a lot of pictures that helped mm-hmm. to write it. But we served uh you know, at Makaha, which is a pretty challenging uh wave and uh and we served with the early grades and there weren't many people surfing, and for sure, not many women. So it was a great time. Fred Van Dyke, Buzzy Trent, Peter Cole, all the guys that first went to Makaha and rode the big waves. We were we were friends, and we surfed, and, and then uh, Mother bought a beach lot there and we went there for a couple of years and camped out we slept on the beach or we made and we made big fires and we all got together at night and talked and told surf stories and so and and surfed and mother surfed every day at Waikiki when we lived in Waikiki but in 1959 she left her marriage of 22 years And headed for Makaha and lived in an old rusty fishing quonset with no hot water and hardly any cooking. We cooked on a Coleman stove and it was very rugged. And she lived there for seven months while she built her house next door, which was a prefab house. And then we moved into it when it was a shell and lived there for a couple of years before I went off on my. Way to college and marriage and and then I kept coming back over the years and then leaving and then after graduate school finally and uh to nineteen ninety i came i returned and never have never left. It's always been my home i I love hawaii i'm a I'm a local at heart and what did you study, and where did you go to when you left for college? Well, I started at the University of Hawaii. Which uh, I had gone to a, uh, a a college prep school, a high school, which was the first school, first private school west of the Rockies. It was started by the missionaries. And then uh, I did a, maybe a year and a half at UH, and then I got married and had children. And when they were in uh, going to college, I lived in Southern California in Laguna Beach for many years, where. I raised two daughters as, uh, after seven years of marriage as a single mother. And uh, so when they went to college, I went back to uh, Long Beach, Cal State Long Beach. Well, first I went to the Fashion Institute and studied apparel manufacture and design. Then I went to Cal State Long Beach, and then I went up to Corvallis to Oregon State to get my master's. Then I came back to Hawaii because I always wanted to come back and spend the last years with my mother. And then I went back to, even though I had a master's, I got a job at the local high school, which was a Title I school, and I, as a special ed teacher. And then I went back and got my special ed degree, and then I got my family and consumer science teaching degree. So I would be in the system in Hawaii. So it was kind wow. of a long- along too many years in the classroom many years in the classroom (laughs) yeah that's incredible it's a really interesting story what is it about hawaii that brought you back well like my mother i love the ocean and i like being outside so um I like warm air and year-round greenery and uh, Hawaiian music, and I don't know, I just fell in love with Hawaii, and I never really identified with uh, California, even when I lived in Laguna Beach, which is about as close as you can get to Hawaii. I just always wanted to come, come back here, so it's just the whole way of life here. Then you're in Florida, right? It, That's I, correct. I I've never I've only been t- into the Miami airport on the way back from Lima, so I don't know Florida, but I have a couple of friends there, and I'd love when this all settles down. I would love to come go there and do some book talks and sell oh, some yeah. books and meet <laughs> some of the Florida surfers at the surfing museum. I've heard. Um, Is there so hopefully there'll be. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a daughter that lives in Wilmington who surfs. Oh, wow, that's awesome! Yeah, so I was supposed to go there in July, but I don't know. I think it's maybe a little early, but anyway. And then I have friends at the California Surf Museums the one in Oceanside and the one in uh, San Clemente and Huntington Beach, and so I was hoping to do a whole big book tour Well, hopefully. In July. Hopefully, when it's over, you can, um, you know, get some cheaper flights, because I have a feeling it's going to be pretty affordable to travel once, uh, it's a little bit more acceptable to travel, and, um, you can get around. We'd love to have you here. We're in, um, Lake Worth, which is outside of West Palm Beach, and, uh, we actually just moved here but i'm starting to meet a lot of surfers and there's a really interesting surf community here it's it's different but it's really cool wow where did you so do you surf yeah yeah we surf oh. we uh we started the podcast because we actually surf the great lakes that's my husband and i surf and we lived outside of chicago and um that's that's what propelled us to start the podcast and it was actually my friend Kelly who surfs in Canada read your book and she's the one who sent me the information about you and your book oh okay I wonder if she was on the flow summit uh, probably yeah I think so she in Vancouver no she is in Toronto um but she was in some I forgot where she told me she read the book, but she she um sent me your profile on Instagram and was like, You have to talk to this lady <laughs> uh, Oh, that's nice. Yeah, thank you for having me on too. I didn't get to thank you. Oh yeah, well well it's it's just it's such an interesting story, um, from not only your perspective, but also the perspective of hearing the stories about your mother. It's just fascinating because I think when people think of Hawaii, they think of, like, hyper, almost hyper-masculine surfing right now, right? Um, And almost, like, the commercialization of the surf industry. So to hear, you know, you just so casually talk about, like, yeah, Mother bought a lot and we camped on the lot, it just seems like something that's so unimaginable. Right, right. It was, it was an amazing time in surfing. You know, I feel so lucky to have experienced that with the people that we were with, you know, it was, it was fabulous. And to be able to do it with your mother and have all your friends, I mean, all my high school friends that surf wanted her for their mother you know everybody loved loved her (laughs) and she was a daredevil and uh, wanted to try anything exciting at least once you know she had very competitive yeah it's just fascinating too because it's so rare that people start something new even at 30 but at 40 It's just, and then to win competitions as well, it's just like, it's so interesting. Well, she was, um, you know, she believed, she had such a belief in herself. She believed that whatever she wanted to do, she could do it. You know, there was nothing that was going to stop her. And um, besides being an athlete, she was an artist. You know, she could look. At an animal and carve it, and I have this amazing little a man on a wave, a person on a wave with a you know the wave breaking behind and the surfers in the curl. and uh, she created that plus many other charms. And um, I'm thinking of the, having recreating those. I have all the molds and she was a manufacturing jeweler besides being a dental hygienist. She was in the second class out of the University of Southern California in dental, with a degree in dental hygiene, which was a brand new profession um, in 1932, and she was only like 18 years old working on people's mouths, so she had to work really hard to gain their their trust, and she did it, So, so she did so many things. She was a horseback rider. And she bought some horses in a bar one night, and (laughs) she she took up flying and uh, flew in a glider before she knew really what she was doing, and crashed that at sixty-five feet. And um, while she was training for the nineteen thirty-six Olympics, and so that ended that. But anyway, and she was a competitive swimmer in Santa Monica, and. Skiing in Salt Lake before there were even ski lifts, where it took them half a day to sidestep up the mountain. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she grew up in Salt Lake City, and she was the granddaughter of uh, pioneers into Salt Lake. Uh, Brigham Young had recruited them from England, and they they came into Salt Lake in wagons, and they were uh, very um, accomplished and hardworking people. So she had, she had it good genes. Like yeah, I would say so. What, what, having a mother like that, how does that affect the way that you see the world and the way that you live your life? Well, I'd like to be more like her. To- <laughs> <laughs> I certainly would like to be more like her, but Writing the book has been such an amazing journey because she was a stoic and I didn't, she never shared any of her heartaches or troubles or any of her, um, you know, unhappiness with, with me or with anybody. So when I wrote the book, I found, um, I'd been writing for a year and a half and I thought, why didn't I ask more questions, you know? What was she thinking? What was she going through when, you know, my father was doing all this really weird stuff? Um, And the only way I could tell is I found, uh, after writing for a year and a half, I found an old cardboard box out in our garage. And it was up on a shelf, and I wrestled it off. And there was an autobiography that she had written from uh, maybe age 3 to 24. Telling, oh yeah, telling about growing up, and uh, you know, she claimed that she'd never marry, but my father came along and swept her off her feet, and blah blah. So she eloped with him after only knowing him for like two weeks, and <laughs> and then there was there were writing, there were letters, and there was memorabilia and photos. So that helped me piece part of the picture together. But in learning more about her, I learned more about myself. And uh, she liked, she loved excitement. Well, I'm starting to feel like that's me too. You know, if a day goes by and something exciting isn't happening, I'm going, hmm, where is it? How can I make (laughs) it happen? (laughs) So, So, but. In no way do I measure up to. I mean, she was amazing. What was it that um, caused Addict to book? want to write a book? Because she had such an amazing life and such mm-hmm. an amazing um, philosophy. And her story uh, was just like. It had to be. It had to be told. And uh, she had actually, when macular degeneration set in uh, late in life, and she slowly couldn't do the things, the creative things, like pottery. She she loved to to uh, do pottery and go to a senior citizens class, and she glazed her pottery in Colors of the Ocean and the Sand. It all had an ocean theme. And then when she couldn't do that anymore, rather than just falling into a slump, she thought about it all, and she said, I I still have a brain, and I'm going to write, about about my life and my experiences and my thoughts. So she had written so many haiku poems, and she you know, paste them out on her fingers and wait for my sister to come and write them down, that this friend uh, and her soulmate said, you you have to make a book. So she made a Xerox book with, um, and I wrote the introduction, two pages. And, uh, and she actually sold that book during her later years. And then she did another one. And I... Four years after she passed, I started looking at that book and I went, there has to be a better book. So that's part of what inspired me. And it was a story like, um, like the, the Maya Angelou says, there's no greater agony than an untold story inside of you. It was kind of like mm-hmm. that. So, and and when I first started, I went, do I have a story? And I I went I had three editors and my first editor, yeah, yeah, you have a story, but I really needed to learn how to write. I thought I'd tell the picture, the tell the story with pictures and sort of the kind of writing that I knew how to do and then when I got to my third editor, she said, "Take all those pictures out right now and we're starting over." And then I had to learn how to write scenes and build characters and and turn my my mother into a you know into a character. So it it was a challenge. It took about four and a half five years. It was a it was a challenge, but really a wonderful process. You know, because I learned more about myself besides learning more about her and my ancestors, and you know, it's just and now it's it's you know just really fun marketing it. And I was really thrilled because last weekend it was on the New York Times suggested summer reading list. Oh, wow. Yeah. How's that? That's that's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) And I was contacted about possible film and TV rights. Oh, wow. So it'd make a beautiful full feature. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Or even like a long form... Um, series, you know, they have those, like, documentary, it's like a TV show that has, like, whatever, eight episodes. Yeah. It just seems like such a, right, like, just such a huge, huge story. And you, even the way you talk about it, you know, I feel like I could just close my eyes and you can see, I've only seen some of the pictures. But I just, it's already such a romantic picture in my head. Yeah, yeah, she had some wonderful adventures. (laughs) What types of things did you do to get like to learn how to write, like, and what was that process like? That process was really hard. Like I said, I I went through and spent about probably about a year scanning all these pictures. A lot of them were on this little three D thing, and I sent them off to a man to have him scan them who had this special equipment. Then I bought a scanner and a really good printer and um, hired a gal to help me scan them and go through and scanned all the pictures, which triggered a lot of memories. And then I carefully, maybe two and a half years later, I inserted the photos into the text very carefully along the process. And then when I got to my third editor, Connie Hale, who is from Hawaii, um, the first thing she said was, Take all those pictures out of there right now. We're starting over with and those adjectives that you have. We we're you know <laughs> so So then we went back and started over and then it was probably another year and a half till till we finished it. And when you Building oh, characters, thinking back to my father, you know, de- uh, dealing with my sister and her, you know, how she fit into the story and the parts of the family that are, might not be so functional, uh, you know, just automatically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <thematically. laughs> yeah it is that so- answer? Is that answer? Oh, and then. certainly, Yeah. Then Spark Press is a hybrid publisher. Okay. So. What does that mean? That means that it's sort of in between self-publishing and getting a, getting a big publisher. And I, given my age and uh, what I'd already been through with the book, I didn't want to spend a couple of years writing book proposals and sending them out and trying to get a big publisher to take it on. So, My editor strongly suggested this uh, spark press and that's where I paid for everything, but I had it the way I wanted. Nobody dictated the amount of pictures, what pictures, and I chose my cover, which many, I'm friends with a lot of authors and they say nobody ever gets the cover they want. I did. So, yeah, it was a, and then I have distribution through Ingram Publisher Services, which if you to self-publish, there's over a million people writing books every year now. And if you don't have really good distribution, you get buried. Mm. So distribution is like a marketing type of service? Yes. or Any museum, any store, any bookstore any business can buy my book from Ingram Publisher Services. Oh, okay. They have reps and they they just they, that's my distribution besides my own web page which is uh did you did you go to that the wave I the, did. Yeah. Yeah, so I do yeah, that all the time. So do you did you get to see the interviews and the haiku and mother talking about her surfing? Yes, they, I looked only slightly at it, because actually, I know this might sound strange, but the way that I do interviews is the less I know, the oh, better because no. that way the perspective is someone listening who hasn't seen anything. you know yeah, got it just so um, I only slightly because I find that if like the one of the last interviews I did was somebody that I know very well, and it's actually almost harder. For the listener yep. because I already know certain things so I can make assumptions and make these, you know, more narrow questions where if I, the less I know, then my listeners can kind of understand because they don't know, they might not know anything either. Yeah, I I can understand that. Um, but now I will certainly go and check it out more <laughs> and also read the book because there is no better time to read a book than right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a plan I mean you, you talked kind of about you know wanting to do book tours is that your main um way of kind of getting the word out about no. the book or no, no I'm hoping to get it in um as many publications as I can mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that um other large newspapers will maybe do an article or do something um, uh-huh. around that. Uh, I was going to have a, a a book talk in North Carolina last month, I think April, and New York City, Pilgrim Surf, the surf shop there, and go up to Long Island. So that all got canceled. No, not necessarily. Um, I'm looking at having it translated into other languages, meeting uh-huh. with the Japanese translator. In the next days to see about that. And I'm hoping to get into Spanish and French, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. And market it in, like, through these podcasts and radio shows or whatever, TV. I mean, if the Olympics had been on, it would have been so perfect, you know, to get more more TV and more coverage absolutely that and the virus has made it like I had to do my book launch on uh, over the internet rather than a party with wine and all of that mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that that makes it complicated for sure but hopefully when things open up you can have you know like a whatever a celebration of, of some, yeah. some kind you know yeah <laughs> It's, um, yeah, it's just so, I just love stories like this to take the time to sit down and write down your, your legacy and your mother's legacy together. And then you are the one in control of the story. I just think it's the self-publishing and the control aspect that you talked about. I just think that's so important. Right. And it makes it really unique. So you said that your your personal surfing is past tense. When did you stop surfing? I stopped surfing a long time ago, but I uh, boogie. I did boogie boarding when I came hey. back. Uh-huh. Um, so I stopped probably. Well, I when I lived in Santa Barbara, I surfed a little bit, and then when I lived in Laguna, I surfed a little bit down at San Onofre. But I was always working, trying to you know, keep um, a roof over our heads. And so I didn't have much time. I used to do this summer festival in Laguna Beach, and it was just full on, nothing but work for six or seven weeks. And then at the end of it, I was just too tired. But I did go down to San Onofre and surf a little bit in the, that would have been in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't dare do it now because I don't want to get hurt. You know? Right. I, I, well, maybe skateboarding, boarding. And I don't think I get, the wave would be gone by the time I got up on the board at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so is the property that you speak about so much in this, have have spoken about so much in this interview, the beachfront property, is that still in? possession of your family my sister and i have it and she lives out there and then i have been doing some uh vacation renta- rentals on my part of it and um so now i uh, we have the quarantine but i have some people coming on sunday that will stay maybe for two months and it's a big place because we're right on the beach you can go out and barbecue and do whatever yeah so i i rent it out i'm on brbo 382710 <laughs> <laughs> but actually uh short-term rentals unless you have a license have been made illegal in hawaii so it's oh wow yeah so it's kind of to have to go to the longer term but yeah it's a beautiful piece of property and they're like this valley. The ancient Hawaiians lived up there and farmed, and there's like a temple up there that was restored in the 50s. And then it's surrounded by 4,000-foot mountains. So it's very spectacular with this white sand beach and really clear crystal water. and And in the 50s, there was hardly anybody out there. And then on past the ra- the railroad used to go around kind of point. I have a map in my book and the railroad used to go around. So in the fifties, we could drive around on the old railroad um, bed. And we, so we'd drive over to Haleiwa and sunset, but you haven't been able to do that for years. So the road dead ends just past my car and it's, uh, it's a very interesting place. It's very local. As Honolulu has developed and become more expensive, uh, people have gone out there, local people, that where they could afford to buy a place. So the traffic in and out of there can be really fierce. And, but uh, yeah, it's an Do amazing... Do you place. have the property, like, is it in some sort of trust or something like that? Or how does that... For a trust for my sister and myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's just incredible. It, I can't wait to look, and I can't wait to have the pictures posted so that when people are listening to this, then they can also put the visuals uh, together with what we're talking about. <laughs> no, uh, but I knew John Saberson, who started Surfer Magazine, mm-hmm. and... uh no, I haven't contacted them because all I see in that magazine are men surfing. So
0: well, that's I, exactly
1: I, why you need to be in there, there I think. Exactly. So now I'm going to go back and uh, get in touch with them and then Surfer's Journal. Mm hmm. Yeah. Over and over and over. And I'm just waiting for them to feel like they could put me in there and do a story. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm hoping Surfer so. Girl out of London I think is doing something. And then Ocean Magazine in San Diego is a really nice free magazine uh, that's North County, San Diego. And he's doing an article June and July. Yeah. Awesome. I will also post this. There's a pretty popular Facebook group. I'm not sure if you're a part of it. Um, it's called Women Who Surf. Yes. And that's yes. just enjoying Yeah, that's been really um I post and a lot of like Vanessa started out of the Huntington Beach International Surfing Museum. I'm, I'm not sure who started it to be honest. But um I've been very especially during quarantine, I've been very active during in that group.
0: <laughs> okay. And
1: there's a lot of um you get a lot of positive responses when you share anything with that group of women. It's very um encouraging, but I would say I mean, I would say that Surfer Mag would totally jump on this and they've been doing a lot of like video stuff as well. So I don't know how that could play into it, but I just think um that that could be yeah, my second editor was Ben Marcos, who Marcus, who is a former editor at Surfer Magazine. Oh, so awesome. I'm still in touch with him, so I'll find a... out who to contact. Yeah, because so. they're trying to go, it seems like, in some different directions or creating kind of like, they're they're trying to switch it up from like what you're saying, just like professional guys doing airs, you know, they're trying to like mix it up a little bit. <laughs> right, which that's good too, but we need a little bit of a, right. a little bit right. of a variety. Right. Um, so I have three last questions for you. Okay. Um, the first one is, what is the weirdest wave that you've ever surfed? <laughs> uh, I I I don't I can't think of any of them as being weird. That you know, Makaha. Makaha has a backwash that when you come in, it's you go through the backwash and then there's a wave. It creates an actual wave that people ride back out, um, mm-hmm. the 400 yards, something like that. So I would say that, not that I can't remember surfing that, but I think that's the the weirdest wave I've seen. That counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. everybody defines a weird wave as different things, so that totally counts. The back and then, wave yeah. at Makaha Beach when it okay. gets big. Yeah. Yeah. What is your biggest, we call it an oh shit moment, but like a big scare that you had while surfing? Okay, I was out at Makaha, and it was probably 10 to 12 feet, and um. So we were paddling out. I was with Buzzy Trent and Peter Peter Cole. And so this huge set comes up out of the nowhere. And Buzzy starts screaming at me. And he'd like been my mentor because he was the big wave surfer of the day. Well, Peter was too. So Buzzy starts yelling at me, "Vicky, I pushed through one wave. And then he said, let your board go. You know, we didn't have leashes. But <laughs> I kind of just. Turned around and caught the whitewater. As long as I had my board, be let your board go, get rid of your board. So I got rid of my board foolishly, and then a couple waves came. And then by about the third wave, I was really having trouble staying up above the foam because I was so tired, and you know the foam was so thick. And luckily, Peter Cole came and got me. Or I don't know what would have happened. And I got on his board. So that was my oh shit moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> no leashes. I forgot that. That's yeah. No, we can't. had that 50s. was like eighties, right? No, the fifties. No, no. I mean eighties is when I'm leashes came out. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we, <laughs> we had some yeah. long swims. <laughs> With body bodies there. The waves in too, and the current would push you. But it was still long. In fact. Um, you know, when we get in, often little kids had our boards, so they, and they had time to catch a few little waves. And so Mother used to often find Rel's son when Rel was, like, seven years old with her board fooling around in the shore break and stuff. That's awesome. That <laughs> is just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems so hardcore now to—when <laughs> you see someone without, without a leash, it's like, oh— You know, it's like a serious thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can be dangerous too. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So my last question for you is what is next for you? Selling this book. (laughs) Selling this book and getting it translated and, uh, You know, hopefully doing some travel. I was supposed to go to connected with some people in Wales, but I was invited to a conference that they have in June to empower young women through surfing and skiing. And uh, I was invited there. So I won't be doing that this year. But uh, since my mother was a Pembroke and we think the roots go back to Pembroke Castle. Uh, it would be really fabulous. I'd love to go to Wales and england and and maybe Japan do some travel. I don't know it's a possibility and a film, of course would be the you know the highlight of everything, and that i people all around the world can read this book and learn about this story and you know sell a million plus copies. <laughs> That's a lot to look forward to. That sounds incredible. Yeah. <laughs> if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Wavewomanbook.com. Okay. At or That's wavewomanbook at com is my email. Yeah. Wavewomanbook. You have to put the book in there. At gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. The web is I'll way I'll put all the information. information. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's, sorry, to, it's, I think I'd love to sorry. hear from people how they like the book. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can always use, if you buy it on Amazon, uh, the more Amazon reviews, the better. And one of my early surfing buddies, Candy Tappan, disappeared to Florida, you know, s- Sixty years ago, over sixty years ago, and I would love to find her. If she's still alive. We served every oh. day key together. What's her name? It was Candy Tappen, T A P P E N. So she would be seventy-nine years old now. So you know I where in Florida? I think around my. I don't know Miami, maybe. But I've tried to find her on Facebook. But no luck. We'll have to put the, maybe she has a married name or something. I'm sure or she that has. was her married name. That, that was her maiden name. Okay. Yeah, we were in ninth grade. We were in ninth grade, and we spent every day at Waikiki. And <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of fun. And then her her parents moved to Florida. Wow. Did she have any brothers? Sisters? I think she was an only child. That makes it harder, almost, you know, because if she had a brother, yeah, I know. The only way would be Social Security. I've heard you can write to the Social Security. Oh, really? Administration, yeah. But maybe she'll hear about me through this book if she's still alive, and get in touch. That would be awesome. I'll, yeah. We'll put it out there, too, if anybody knows. And, uh, yeah, that's that's so interesting. That would be, if, if that is what comes from all of this, that would be really incredible. I know. I know. <laughs> it's been really fun hearing um, from classmates who have been missing for 30 years, 40 years, and hearing from them and having them buy books and, you know, applaud. Applaud me! (laughs) So it's been a great joy. That's awesome. Yeah, I hope to meet you one day. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. I'm sure our paths will cross. Thank you so much for doing this. This was just, just awesome. I can't wait to get now. I can get my hands on the book and I'll read it so it doesn't influence the way I (laughs) did the interview. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right, Taylor. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so <laughs> much. It was, Thank Catch you. It was way. nice to talk thank to you. you. <laughs> I Sorry. will. I will. All right. Bye. 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 Aloha. Aloha.
0: <laughs> and that was episode 45. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Please go check out her book. It is wavewomanbook.com. You can also find it on Amazon and like was said in the last couple minutes, do you know Candy Tappan? We are trying to put the word out to find this woman. She escaped, quote-unquote, escaped or ran away to Florida, and Vicky has not heard from her since. So, do you know someone with the last name Tappan? Do you know someone whose maiden name was Candy Tappan? If you do, let us know, or you can send an email to wavewomanbook.com. That is kind of our side mission from this episode. If we could crowdsource a way to find Candy Tappin, that would be just incredible. So if anyone could do it, I believe it's our listeners. We're a well-connected bunch, so just kind of putting it out there to see what happens. Anyways, I hope that you guys love this episode as much as I did. It was just such a joy. And of course, you know, we will see you next Monday with another episode. Have a wonderful week, guys.